0: Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 74th episode of the Truth Island podcast. Throughout life, there will be many times that we are paired with people that have different views than that of ourselves. Yet how we approach these encounters says a lot about who we are. For example, how long are we expected to listen before interjecting with our two cents? Are there ever times where it's impolite to be too candid with how we feel? Must we always affirm what others are saying, even if we disagree? Or is it ever okay to just plow right over what others are saying, if we know that what they are saying is factually wrong? Regardless of what we decide in each of these moments, a skill that is really prerequisite to anyone that fashions themselves a true thinker is the ability to approach any new idea or argument with an open mind no matter how ridiculous or how opposing these views might stray from that of our own when we keep an open mind one of two things may occur one we may affirm our previously held beliefs or two we might actually be convinced otherwise either way the process of learning how to have an open mind and approach things that we might on the surface fundamentally disagree with remains a pivotal step on the road to self-actualization. Joining me to help explain how in life we can maintain an open mind, and even in uncomfortable situations, I am joined by Pegor. Pegor, tell me, what's it like to sometimes walk into the lion's den of ideas? Hello, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Honor
1: to be a first-time guest. It's a bit intense, honestly, like uh, walking into the lines, then into a group of people you disagree with and then have an intense discussion about like metaphysics and the core principles or core foundations of your worldview and other people's worldview. So it's it's a you know, it's the big gun.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, th- I think that um I think a lot of people have dread and fear is, is this and I've talked about this before is this idea that your identity might become shattered. And I, I think people cling to their ideas because they see their ideas as being a, a manifestation of their identity. And one of the worst things that you can do to any human is shatter their sense of identity. I, I think you know maybe a 16 year old can have their identity shattered. It's not such a big deal. They can always pick up the pieces and recreate themselves. As you get older, this becomes harder and harder and harder and harder because you've now invested 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years in crafting that sculpture of an identity and when you go into these high stake situations you don't want the past 60 years to be for naught
1: yeah t- totally that's that's a like uh, where, there's a fallacy i don't I, I forget what it's called but like the fallacy of the more time you invest something the less likely you are to give up on it because you've invested so much time or money into it
0: Gambler's fallacy. I think it's yeah.
1: called. <laughs> I, I guess so. so. So, the more your worldview or whatever goes unchallenged, or the more you live with it, you're more likely to sort of grab onto it, even if it's if it's not working anymore. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, so, and that's why, for example, per- personally, I sort of intentionally sometimes pressure test my worldview because I have I have this weird. I guess desire to have as correct of a possible worldview view as as one can manage or as an accurate of a world
0: view as one can manage now that's really whoa I, I love what you just said there actually Pegor, because what i like about this is that if you go a very long time without challenging your world view you might actually get stuck in an incorrect world view for longer than you really want to. It's kind of like a like you need to update your computer periodically because if you don't, then you got to go through the annoying long Windows update that takes five hours. But if you're constantly updating your computer, you know, on a weekly basis or, or monthly basis, then you aren't, it's not such a big deal. So when you find out that something you believed in is wrong, it's not like, oh my God, the past 30 years has been a complete waste. It's like, shoot, the past three months has been a complete waste, but that's okay, I can I can sweep that up, I can pick up the pieces and rebuild myself.
1: Yeah, totally, it, it's like, uh, this translates really well into relationships. Like you can have five small arguments over a six month period with your partner, or you can have like one big fight at the end of the six months where you then end up like either breaking up or sleeping at your friend's house for a week until things calm down, so. Uh,
0: I think relationships is the perfect example because it's best that you find out that that's not the one six months into the relationship than 20 years into the relationship.
1: Yeah, and it's not even necessarily about the one. It's just that maybe you can resolve the differences, but it's like, would you rather resolve the differences one at a time gradually, or would you rather just do it one in a one big uh, bulk, which is going to be stressful because the argument's going to be tangled up because it's like 50 things you disagree about and you're arguing
0: about all <laughs> 50 things at the same time. Right. And there's also this idea of, I think, regret is going to kind of kick in because I think the more time that you, you know, think about the gambler's fallacy or whatever, it's like the more time that you're invested in something. It's going to it's going to not only shatter your identity, but now you're going to have all this regret of like, oh, my God, I was with this woman for for 10 years or 20 years. And it was a complete waste. Whereas you'll always feel that even if you're engaged in something for a month, you're still going to feel that. But it's it's more of a like um, a mosquito bite as opposed to being like a shark bite.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's um, it's less of a loss. And plus, like you can like, let's say six months later or whatever, have the big argument and break up. But there's a lot of the smaller arguments that you didn't speak up about and that sort of builds a bit of resentment in you that you know i should have spoken up i should have said things and that's why like a lot of people i see this especially on internet memes like oh i win arguments in the shower in my head against my partner but not not," because they don't speak up or like (laughs) they're like they, they stay quiet and then they have the argument in their minds and they win but you know the argument didn't really happen because it's in your mind
0: yeah, yeah. The, those like shower tiles aren't doing anything for you. That they're not. They're not going to those shower tiles are not going to give you back years of your life for sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly.
0: All right, Pigor, continue onward. Like, tell me, tell me more about your your process of like challenging your worldview every so often.
1: Yeah. So uh, I don't know. As I said, I don't know exactly why, but I've always had this desire to have an accurate worldview or a, or a very pragmatic, let's say, worldview. And so I've always been sort of trying to pressure test and make sure that I don't have any flaws in my, in my worldview. And this sort of process, or, or like this sort of started maturing when I was in high school. That's when I first sort of uh, came across Sam Harris and some other of the, like the quote unquote, four horsemen of the apocalypse, like new atheist types. And so my initial iteration of my worldview was very much based on atheism and like not being religious And like that whole idea, what I what my my particular flavor was that I was against belief, like having any form of belief in my worldview, because I had a very narrow definition of belief, which was make, which is making a truth claim about the universe without any supporting facts. And so I was like, that's my definition of belief. And I want to construct a worldview without any beliefs, because why would you want a worldview with beliefs in it? (laughs) You know, <laughs> Seems like a
0: nihilistic kind of tunnel that you were going through.
1: I wouldn't say nihilistic; it's just like uh, I don't know. It's very strict and narrow uh, f- format. Now I'm I, like in hindsight, I can admit that I didn't really put in the time to actually construct like a very meticulous construction of this worldview. But I thought I had things figured out, and you know, things things were working well.
0: Yeah, over-self-assurance yeah. is always a mistake, right? <laughs> like, if you're too sure about your worldview, it's time to, to put a few tests, right? To put the yeah, brakes yeah. to the test, so to speak, right? Yeah,
1: and the other <laughs> thing that I that I failed to do is like, uh, so I had, obviously, before I came into this, I had my own worldview, and then as I was going through, like, a lot of, like, Sam Harris's works and other people's works, I developed my worldview, obviously, morphed and transformed, but I didn't sort of do, like, a, like a detailed, analysis of my worldview to see if there were actually any beliefs like still smuggled in there. So I just assumed that, you know, by listening to, to all these atheist things, I just automatically purge my worldview of any beliefs. But lo and behold, that was wrong. So
0: (laughs) the car came to a screeching halt yeah
1: so like uh, i think like the initial sort of moves were tied to uh, like real life events so what one of the things was like uh, there have uh, there was like this local debate between like a christian or, or person and an atheist person which i attended and that sort of put me in contact with people who were like Christian, and they were like, and th- these people were like, they, they know how these arguments go. They're they're versed in these kinds of discussions. So it's not like they're like your average church goer who like reads the Bible and prays and that's it. Like these guys know how the atheists argue, and they have their counter arguments to, to all of that. So I started sort of mingling with that group of people, having discussions, and then that transformed into I got invited to a, a monthly discussion group where a topic would be chosen, and then usually, unfortunately, sometimes uh, the camps would split around religious versus non-religious. And, and you could see the people arguing, and you could see the a priori assumptions made because they're coming from these these two backgrounds.
0: It is, I talked about this on a previous podcast with Joe, it's really nice, though, when the two people are debating are both kind of intellectual heavyweights in their respective field. I think that just right off the bat makes the conversation that much richer because you're not you're not watching like a giant decimate an ant. I think there's no that doesn't really challenge anyone. That just kind of affirms. The tribe that's in charge, and I think it's kind of nice that when you've got the best atheist versus the best theo- theologian, kind of duking it out, it makes it really, it, it really actually creates for some uh, spectacular fireworks.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, a mismatch is uh, is not good for either side. Like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. So, as I was saying, I was part of these monthly discussion groups, so where we would have these discussions and. That was an interesting pressure test in general of me just having to defend the, I guess, the a priori assumptions or whatever was sort of pre built in, in the foundations of my worldview against these people. I, I mean, sometimes they would be like quote unquote friendly fire. Like you'd have some of the atheists disagree among themselves, or sometimes they're. <laughs> religious people would disagree amongst themselves because so it was a very diverse group. So we had some, we had like Christians, Muslims, and even the atheists, they, they come again, like from former Christians or from a Christian background and former Muslims or from a Muslim background. So there's a whole this like interesting mix going on of like ideas. And then like the, the, the triggering point for me where like I realized, uh Oh, something's, something's amiss is that so, I was listening at that point to Jordan Peterson, which I discovered via Sam Harris. Sure. And one of the key things he says is that what you think, what you say, and how you act should align, ideally. And that if things don't align, all these things don't align, what you do is a better indicator of what you actually sort of value than what you think and what you say because doing is actually expensive whereas thinking and saying is inexpensive Mm -hmm. besides the calories calories you spend in your brain with your neurons it's it's not expensive whereas doing things is means like taking actions going to places speaking to certain people not speaking to other people and so that stuck with me and then at some point i realized that although i was thinking and speaking in in that i had a worldview devoid of beliefs or that I was an atheist, but I, I was in the real world acting as if I did hold certain beliefs.
0: So under Peterson's, if I'm getting this right, so Peterson is prescribing that you need to, like, you can't just in your head say I'm an atheist or I'm a this and that. You have to kind of go out in the world and, and really interact with people of the same opinion, people of different opinions. Like you have to put your beliefs to some kind of action and, and really see if they, if they. It's like I, I, I kind of want to use like a martial arts analogy here. There are some martial arts where you just like use a punching bag or whatever. And and like you you have, you know, everyone feels like they're Bruce Lee, right? But when you're against a punching bag, the punching bag doesn't hit back. But then when you get into like MMA, um, that guy's gonna really, he's gonna punch you back. He's gonna take you down to the ground. That's how you know if your martial art is is like a legit one or if you're just like punching into the air. And I, I think that's kind of what Peterson's saying here is that you need to take your belief system and not just have them like dance in your head you need to actually go out in the world and then see if they hold muster
1: in this specific idea of like the three things aligning i don't think that's the point the point is not to hold any contradictions you know okay so, so like like again sort of to revert back to relationships you can tell your partner you'll do the laundry and then not do the laundry and so ah. and so which is true the, the thing that you said or the thing that you didn't do mm. and so his mm. argument is that the thing that you didn't do is more true the thing you said because uh, in this case not doing is free but like motive behavior embodied behavior is is genuinely expensive so so like if you're i don't know like if you believe that you can cross any street without getting hit you can say that you, that you believe that you can think that you believe that but if you actually do it then you you really believe it because there's the actual risk that you might get hit by a car and die.
0: Uh, Okay, I think I got you now. So basically what you're saying is that as a young man, you believe that you had no belief at all, but then there was something in your head that said, wait a minute, it's wrong to kill people or something like that. Is that that kind of like you, you had like the belief system said, you know, I have no belief, right? I know that's like a contradiction within itself, but then you're not actually acting. You're not living a lifestyle of doing whatever the hell it is that you want as long as you don't get caught. Is that no. what? It-
1: no, no, it, it, it's it's not. It wasn't strictly tied to morality. So even in my sort of quote-unquote belief-free worldview, I did have certain. I did subscribe, or did I did agree to certain moral standards that you shouldn't kill, you shouldn't steal. The point, the point for me was that I thought that I, my worldview was free of beliefs, and therefore, uh- I, whatever I was saying, whatever I was thinking, whatever I was doing in the world was was motivated or was dri- driven by this worldview. Uh, was driven by this worldview free of beliefs but then when i inspected my sort of i observed my own behavior i realized that my behavior was actually motivated by beliefs
0: can you give an example of that
1: yeah so so the thing so the revelation so so to speak was that i so i thought that i had no beliefs but the, the revelation was that i actually believed in some form of you reap what you sow do unto others what you have them do unto you and the idea like this karmic idea of what goes around and what comes around, and the like. The thing that I remember explicitly is that so you know, like when you're driving at night and you have your high beams on, and then like you see a car approaching, and then you turn your high beams down back to low until you pass that person. Yeah. So I would do that even even the other even though the other person wouldn't drop their beam back to low, because my thing, and I would tell myself I'm gonna keep on dropping my from high beam to low beam because I want other people. To drop from high beam to low beam if they see me on the road and so that was like well well, why am i doing that like i have no proof that you know what, what goes around comes around i have no proof that the, the universe is set up to operate in this by with this mechanism but yet i was acting in the world with this as if this mechanism was true
0: i see okay okay so you're you're still like, and it's it's happening almost at a, at a subconscious level, right? Like exactly. the, Okay, got it. So the belief system is there.
1: And so there was this disconnect between what I was thinking and saying and what I was actually, how I was actually behaving in the world. Got it, so, got it. So when Peterson mentioned that, I was like, and then I, like a while later, I was like, hang on a minute. You know, there's a, this inc- this inconsistency between what I'm doing in the world and what I think, what I'm thinking and what I'm saying. And that sort of forced me into a, total and complete re-examination of my world view.
0: So you hear this, you're you're at this um, theology versus um, atheist kind of uh, uh, debate. You hear now Peterson, what what happens next? Yeah,
1: so it's at that point where I start watching uh, Peterson. He did a lecture series on the biblical, psychological significance of the biblical stories. So again, as part of me, my, uh, my sort of entering the atheist sort of world, I sort of developed this very negative attitude towards uh, like holy scripture that it's just a bunch of stories like, and f- like fairy tales, like Little Red Riding Hood and you know like the Gingerbread Man, and that there was no no value in those scripture and it's just stories that people read and like to tell themselves. And so this the the lecture the, the lecture series by Peterson made me realize that hang on a minute, there's actual value in in these texts. So I was like, okay. That's, that's interesting. And then one of the people, the host of the, this theology versus, uh, I guess, I don't know, rationality discussions, if you want to call it, he, he said, like, why don't you come to a Bible study session that he ran separately? And, and the thing that, like, honestly, like, he hooked me on this was, so Peterson's the, uh, biblical lectures were, were about the book of Genesis, right? And so he was like, why don't you come to the Bible study and we're going to be starting a new chapter and we'll do Genesis. You know sort of like
0: in the beginning <laughs> yeah in the beginning and so I was
1: like and so I was like sure so I started going and the other thing and so just a bit to go to go a bit back was that so as a result of all these discussions and this like revelation that I held the belief the and the discussion with the with the host himself actually uh, of the debates, what I came to realize was that or, or the conclusion I guess I, I came is like okay I can I cannot build a worldview devoid of beliefs. So then the question is how many beliefs are necessary, like what's the minimum number of beliefs necessary to construct a worldview, right? Because the, ideally you would want a worldview devoid of beliefs, but if you have to, have to include things because we do not have infinite knowledge, what is the minimum number of beliefs you can have in your worldview before you can start building your worldview? Because obviously the more beliefs you have, the more likely that the system, that your worldview is gonna be erroneous and so if if you, if, you, if you sort of focus, if you build your worldview on one belief only, I mean, obviously it can still be wrong, but then you just modify or fix that belief and then everything precipitates from that. And so from my- So
0: like, view, I'll just, I just wanna just in case like some of our listeners are having, what you're saying is really incredibly important, but highly abstract. So like one of these views would be like the philosopher Thomas Hobbes, who says, people are fundamentally evil and 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 from 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 his belief in the, in in that belief that humans are evil he believes the only way that we can we can combat evilness is by having a strong police apparatus, like a strong um, kind of military-like state, to kind of control our our, our, our behaviors and our negative inclinations. So I just I just wanted to like throw that out there as an example in case anyone was like yeah, yeah. having difficulty seeing that.
1: Yeah, and plus, like on another on another level, if you have let's say if you if you've built your worldview on multiple beliefs, then you run the possibility that these beliefs at some point will contradict with each other, and sure. so that will sort of undermine your worldview. Your your like worldview as well. So my approach was like, okay, what's the minimum, like how 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 can I cut down the number of beliefs I need before I can start building worldview? And sort of with my discussions with the host and a couple of other people, I sort of, at least within the Christian context, the, the conclusion or the idea that I was digested was that if you just make this one belief, which is the belief in God, then everything sort of precipitates on top of it and you don't really need to sort of import or Place any additional beliefs in the in your foundations of your worldview. So, so th- those two things sort of got me going. So, and that's when I started going to the Bible study group. And my idea was like, I would just pretend, pretend, and not in a malicious sense. Like, it was just like, okay, I'm gonna read the Bible. I'm in this Bible study group. I'm not gonna argue with the assumption that God doesn't exist. So, I'm I'm not here to sort of tear down the Bible to point out the gaps or like the holes in the text i'm gonna come with the assumption that god exists and then see what the text sort of reveals or what what can i extract from the text
0: so you're kind of having like a, a fake it until you make it sort of mentality like hey i'm still an atheist hey i don't believe in god but I I gotta be to some degree pleasant and I gotta be somewhat agreeable in this particular situation. Otherwise they're gonna kick me out of here or I'm just not gonna get a whole bunch of it. Like if I sit down here in this Bible study group and then within like five minutes, I'm like blah, blah. But if there's no God, blah, blah, blah. You're not really gonna extract anything that these people have to offer you. And I think that's really an important skill is like, okay, I'm clearly in the lion's den. I'm clearly in an area that is making me feel highly uncomfortable. But I kind of just have to zip it or I kind of have to just keep these virtue or these value systems that I personally have just kind of on the down low for a moment. And that doesn't mean that you're being a hypocrite and throwing your value structure out into the garbage can. It just means that you're setting them aside momentarily to extract possible knowledge and possible wisdom from an external source.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and like to clarify, I wasn't like doing that sort of just to maintain sort of like social cohesion within the group. I, as in, I don't want to be kicked out or I don't want to be thought of as a as a, as a disrespectful person. I was just doing that for, because. So my current worldview, I just discovered this massive gaping hole in my current worldview. So I need to correct it. Ah, so okay. How I, how am I going to correct it? Well, here's this other worldview over there that that seems to be working for some people some of the time, to say the least. And so, mm-hmm. so what I did was like, it's like a hypothetical, like, okay, for argument's sake, like, this is like internal dialogue with myself. So, For argument's sake, God exists, okay? And then go, you know? Or like hypothetically, assuming that God exists, what's gonna happen? You know, what, what precipitates from that? And so- now, I have
0: to ask you this one question, uh, Pegor. Sure. If you did not have this like gaping hole, Would you have responded and like, would you have responded to this Bible group in the same open manner? Like, let's just say that you did not have that gaping hole that that was inside you. Would you have gone to the Bible group and still behaved yourself and still just kind of kept your belief system on the down low? Or do you think you would have acted differently?
1: Um, Again, this is like a failure on my part. I don't think I would have even gone in the first place. So,, ah, okay. So the reason why I went is because I, I I had this gaping hole in my worldview, and i needed I needed to figure out how to fix it. so it was it was very much um, sort of a driven approach. like I, out of necessity, so to speak. So so I would say like I was very content with my worldview for a long time. Mm. until I realized that there was this gap in it, or that I had this gap in my worldview. It forced me to change, or or that forced me to go into this discovery mode and exploration mode. Okay, how do I fix this gaping hole? Like, how do I fill it?
0: This is interesting because... I'm wondering if it's even possible for someone to to keep an open mind if they don't have a gaping hole. Like, let's just say, I'm completely content in my worldview. Do you think it's possible to be completely content in your worldview, but just be such a curious animal that you can't help but explore other worldviews, even if you have full contentment within your own worldview?
1: Yeah. Like, like before that, before like the the whole realization, I, I would, I was still part of the discussion group and all that, but, but what would happen is like, I'd go to the discussion group. I'd listen to the people. I wouldn't like particularly get upset, like, oh, how could you say this? But what, what would happen is, like, to, to refer back to like the, the shower arguments people have is on the way back home. I'd I'd sort of argue with myself against the points that were made, and then just sort of reconvince myself of what I what I already believed, mm. what I already had in my worldview. And that was the end of it. So, so I wouldn't get upset particularly about what, about what people were saying, but I never grew or developed as a person because I wasn't like, I wouldn't tell people to shut up or be quiet or, you know, that's dumb. Or like, I wouldn't get emotional or anything. I would just, okay, this is what you think. Fine. But I never benefited from what other people thought until the gaping hole
0: emerged. I see this. So so people who are fully set in their ways, they almost have like intellectual antibodies that that destroy, they see new ideas as like bacteria and the antibodies just destroy the bacteria and don't allow the new ideas to ever even fester or enter the mind at all. Yeah,
1: that's, I really like the antibody (laughs) immunity analogy. Yeah. so, So that's what I was doing for quite a while, quite a long time. And like, what I noticed was, up until before like the first atheist uh, Christian debate, I was even like, I wasn't even exposed to like Christians, so to speak, like the Christian sense of like people who are willing to have this debate in the real world. I, I used to watch like, yeah, debates on YouTube, like Sam Harris versus Dr. William Lane Craig or whatever, like these names. But those are just debates on the on the Internet. I, I never sort of actually sat down with one on one and had the religion versus science, let's say, discussion with anyone until I sort of, you know, this, this whole thing started happening. So initially, it was just, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to the debate and sort of root for the atheist side, so to speak, and validate my own worldview. And um. then it, it sort of, it's it, it stated in that sense, or like, I was, tr- I mean, I still had some motivation to sort of improve my worldview, make it stronger, make it better. And so that's why I was like voluntarily going to these discussions and pressure testing them. Got but it. It was, I was never like, okay, I'm going to pay attention to them. Maybe they have something important to teach me. It was always the approach initially was I'm just going to expose my ideas and and then try to develop counter arguments to their mm-hmm. arguments so that I could improve, so that I could then next time defeat them in, in the debate,
0: you know? Got it. So you went into this with your, you know, facial tribal war face paint on and it just happened to get like rubbed off you. It just you happen to like lose it, and now you're like, oh, this 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 mask doesn't fit me anymore. Now I have a gaping hole, and now I got to take it a step further and try and basically plug this leak in my conscience in yeah. some way. All right, let's go ahead and get back. So you're there at the Bible group. You got your open-mindedness. You you're you're going with the presupposition that God exists. Tell me more.
1: I wasn't like that much versed in the Bible. So basically, what I was doing was I was I was like channeling what Peterson had said in his biblical series to the Bible group sort of like moving the content from there to the Bible group and then see their reaction to the to what had Peterson said because to me what Peterson had said was very I don't know the word like it, it just lit up like light bulbs it was very illuminated like, you yeah illuminated it was, like mind-blowing yeah mind, it was very <laughs> mind-blowing for me so, so I was like well what do these people think who are like it's it's their thing you know so to speak the, the, the Bible and And so that 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 precipitated very interesting discussions and just like further developing the the ideas from the text, Uh, and then so that was the initial phase of like when we were going with Genesis. So then when we were done with Genesis, we moved. They moved back to uh, I forget the name of the chapter, but it was one of those uh, about like uh, crucifixion, the crucifixion of Jesus. Like, and that's that was completely new territory for me. As in, I mean, I know the story, like. In general like you know he got crucified three days later he was resurrected but i hadn't really particularly read the text word for word and so i tried to what i tried to do was i tried to become the peterson of the group so i took whatever i sort of i thought he he was talking about and tried to apply the same techniques or ideas to this new chapter that we were reading which was again beneficial and it was I, i i it was very fruitful for me uh, and that's sort of where I am right now. I'm still stuck. I'm still stuck in the sense that I have not replaced, I don't have a new worldview that I'm convinced of that I'm I'm like, okay, this is it, I'm gonna go with it. But I'm no longer sort of subscribed to the old worldview. So I'm sort of stuck now between worlds.
0: That's, and that's okay, you know, and Pego, I just want to say that's perfectly fine. Um... Here on Truth Island, we kind of believe that everyone is permanently stuck in between worldviews. Like we, we we kind of dip our nachos in all the different salsas, and and we sort of see what what tastes best and what tastes best on Tuesday may not taste best on Friday, and that's it's a very confusing life to to live, and it's it's not an easy life. Like we, uh, I was speaking with someone a few episodes ago that we like we like life to be on easy algebra mode. We don't like it to be on calculus mode. We we like easy, predefined worldviews. And it's really, really, really tough. I think one, um, this process has made you like, you have had to come to some inner vulnerability and being like, hey, I don't know, there's a gaping hole within me and I need to get it filled. And what I also like about you is that some other people make the, the mistake of like, they just go the other pendulum and we've had these people oh yeah i grew up fundamentalist christian and then i went to college and i became an atheist and what i actually like about you is that you're 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 okay in the waiting room you're 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 content and you're like you know it, maybe it bothers you to some degree but what i like is that you're not just throwing your hands up in the air and just subscribing to religion now you're, you're kind of in the waiting room and I think that's a good place to be. It's not a terrible place to be. It's a good place to be. and it's like it's good to be a bit cautious before you jump into new uh, new landscapes,
1: yeah, uh, yeah, like uh, obviously, like reconstructing or repairing worldview is not gonna happen overnight. and I personally i'd be I'd be cautious if if someone you know or whatever like did said that like, oh, I found this and then I fixed it in one day. you know that that's like questionable, yeah, for me, like even like I, I would say like even from childhood like I, I I used to go to Sunday school but again I wasn't I, I think I, from for most of my life I was very moderate in like I was I was I used to go to Sunday school but I was never like Christian I, I like I don't know like and when when I was like sort of from the Sam Harris group again I wasn't like I wasn't like advocating or with like abolishing religion and you know we need to get rid of all these religions I mean sometimes I'd have these like fan fantastic thoughts but like most of the time it's like yeah okay this is what i think and this is how i'm gonna be in the world and everyone else can be whatever they want and and let's say like maybe in the future if i end up becoming a, a christian or whatever i'm not gonna i don't think or i hope that i won't be the kind of christian who tries to enforce that on other people so i've I'm, i'm more of a like, I even noticed this in other facets of my life. So, like, I was a Game of Thrones fan, but I wasn't a hardcore Game of Thrones fan, you know? Or I'm a, I'm a Marvel fan, but I'm not a hardcore Marvel fan. I'm, I'm I, Or sometimes I catch myself being a hardcore fan of something, and then I temper myself back down and like, tell myself that's too much hardcore. So I'm a very cautious or vigilant person. So I, I try to avoid going really deep into things because- That's beautiful. To the I point see. of, let's say, zealousness.
0: Or... Yes. And I think th- this is a problem. You're, you're up in Canada right now, but here in the States, we have a problem with fervor. We have a lot of z- political zealots, religious zealots. We have zealots of all, of all different strides and all different forms. And I think the mindset of a zealot, one, it, it cancels out everything else that's going on around them. It's just, it's completely gone. So they're there. They have an immune system. They have a wall that is preventing any forms of new information from coming in. And if they can't see things through their paradigm or or through their particular worldview, it is therefore untrue, even if it may have some truth, like other worldviews have truth value to them.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so for me, it's like uh, moderation is key in some sense. Like that's a good... uh... Rule of, uh, rule of thumb I go with, because when you go extremes, you you tend to miss things.
0: And yeah. And mess things up. Now, I want to talk about this idea. We talked about this briefly offline, is this idea of your approach defines the interaction. And I, I want you to kind of tell me about when you go into these situations where you're feeling highly uncomfortable, like when you were, you know, in this Bible group, tell me about how, how we can, all of us, can have an approach when we're talking to people that we disagree with or people that clearly have polar opposite worldviews in us? How can we have a, 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 a more uh, agreeable or opened approach that's going to allow for fruitful conversation to occur?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to say, like, when I was in the Bible study, I never felt uncomfortable, at least on the social level. Like, I never was like, oh, they, they, they think I'm an outsider or whatever. For me, like, the approach is so, as I said, like, initially, when I was going to these, like, science versus religion debates, because I was coming with the approach of I just want to make my argument stronger, the, the general feeling was a bit more combative. Like, I'd sometimes feel like your adrenaline's going up, you know, and, and the, because the objective isn't to. Is, the objective is to sort of defeat the other side, come up with the best counter argument, or come up with the best counter uh, argument to sort of knock the other side down. And so that has some sort of semblance of positivity in the sense that you're you're improving your own own self, but but you're improving your own. It's like it's like an arms race where like you have a missile that goes a thousand kilometers, and then the, the enemy builds a missile that goes like a. 1.5 thousand kilometers and then you build a missile that goes 2,000 kilometers but you're still stuck in the in the track in the track of building missiles
0: yes so you're kind of like i think that a lot of people when they go into these situations they have a war game kind of uh, approach so there, there's that there's the war game approach where it's like it's not to listen it's to conquer it's to, it's exactly. the, it's to conquer and then there's I think that's something that's very prevalent in our in, in our in our approach to religion and politics and a lot of these other deeper issues is that we, we we all fashion ourselves like Viking conquerors. We're gonna go into these places and we're gonna we're not gonna listen to a word. We're just gonna conquer, convert, conquer, convert. And what ends up happening is we actually end up losing those wars we, we end up losing those wars because we we ourselves are not growing at all we're not learning anything new we're not sort of sucking up any nuggets of wisdom that that others might offer us and then when we concede a few points here and there We have this idea of we're losers, we're failures, or 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 this. And instead, when you're actually wrong about something, you're actually a winner because now, now moving forward, you have the correct information, or you have the correct, you have the correct, you know, your your worldview has been corrected. It's been pivoted in a better direction.
1: Yeah, totally. And so, what happened was when I discovered sort of the gaping hole in my worldview, more out of necessity than personal virtue, I was like, I'm gonna sort of change my approach, which is okay, I'm stop, I'm gonna stop the arms race, at least personally. I'm gonna I'm gonna make it more of an exchange of ideas, at least from them to me. I mean if if I manage to convince someone or or whatever, like if I manage to hand it to someone more the better. But at least from my end, I was like, okay, I'm gonna be open and listen to what they have to say in a constructive manner, in a positive manner. And that's why sort of the approach of like for, for argument's sake, hypothetically, let's assume God exists, and then see where things go. Because yeah. because at least for me, the, the fundamental blocking point was that belief in God. And so if I'm going to just kind of come from my camp of, oh, I don't believe in God, and I'm going to read the Bible, then, I mean, you can read it, and you can maybe get some stuff out of it, but you're missing the point, so to speak. And so, but but I was sort of defined in that mode of combativeness, because I was coming with the approach that I want to just improve my arguments, and not... Learn something new from from the other side. So I was just using the religious side as a sounding board of my arguments before before and then afterwards, it's like, okay, well, maybe they actually have something that I can use to mend my worldview or completely rebuild it from scratch. And that's why that out of necessity. I I was I was like, Okay. But then if I need to need to extract information from their world knowledge, I need to make, at least temporarily, that jump in belief and assume that God exists and not question it, so to speak, in the discussions. Because the people who are having the discussions about the Bible, you know, they don't question the belief of God. I mean, obviously, even Christians or believers, they do have moments of crisis in their life where they question the existence of God. But like, when you're in a Bible study, the point of a Bible study isn't to question the Bible and its, so to speak, authenticity or you know, it's to to try and to try and extract what it's saying, what it's telling you you should do or what, what how the world, world works. So, so I think
0: I, I think that like approaching, like, I think having a fundamental defeat in some way and then approaching conversation, approaching new ideas out of a sense of humility is probably prerequisite. So I think I think I think what happens is that a lot of us live in siloed echo chambers. So they never have that humbling experience. They're never humbled. They're they're never they're never presented with a question that they can't answer because they live in their own echo chambers where they say the same answer as everyone else and there's in-group bias and and confirmation. And there's no there's no way to have that humbling experience and the only way that you can be humbled is by going into lion's den or, or at least going into neutral territory where there's a possibility that that someone can serve you a dish that you've never tasted before and, and then only and only then yeah. can you be humbled and okay. then uh re-approach this uh i want you you had mentioned the idea of the straw man versus the steel manning can we just go over that and have a little review of what that means
1: straw manning is basically like when you're having a discussion or an argument with with a person or whatever, like two sides. strawmanning is like taking the other person's argument and like it, transforming it into the weakest possible version of that argument and then arguing against the weaker version. Whereas Steel Manning is the exact opposite of like, they give the other side gives you an argument, you sort of improve the argument to its best possible version and then argue against that. And so uh, what I've noticed, especially in those like atheist versus religious people debates there's a lot of straw manning going on both sides and so that's and that's why I think like it's not very useful I used to have these like discussions with my friends and again it was always straw mining, you know like like a like for example at least on the for, for the Krishna there was a lot of mixing between like the Bible and the church as an organization itself and what the members of the church would do so like I remember like we'd always bring up like oh well this priest did that or this you know Pope did that but you know the Pope as much as he is the representative of the catholic church he's not the bible you know and and you can have so from at least from the christian perspective you can have a relationship with god without the pope and just the bible but you know we do like this swapping thing where we're, we're arguing the, against the bible and then for the because we're straw meaning we'd swap the bible with the pope and then say well you know like the pope did this you know and, and that reflects badly but like
0: yeah, so like a like a straw manning could be like when atheists sort of say, Oh, do you really believe that the whole earth was flooded or the earth is only five thousand years old? It's like you're really picking at you're you're really going for the jugular and you're really trying to like bring out the worst possible exactly. elements of your opponent's argument to kind of win. And I, I think that that that's like the straw man technique is, is is a classic example of the warrior technique where you're really just trying to defeat conquer defeat conquer and when you have that mindset you're not really going into these encounters to learn you're going more into just reduce and and defeat and with tell me could you give me like an example of steel manning like i want to like wrap I, my head think, around this
1: i mean i haven't seen much examples of steel Manning, but i think a really good example was the series of four debates that sam harris and peterson had yeah like uh, i Epic. mean that's where they actually discussed the idea of steel manning in itself and so i think like uh, especially specifically peterson he sort of steel manned a lot of sam Harris's arguments and then sort of argued against them and and the, i mean just by the numbers of people who attended and i guess you can check the youtube views those are those debates were one of the most popular debates in recent times yeah epic <laughs> yeah and, and again like sort of to go back to relationships again like your partner can say like i don't want to do this or like we shouldn't do this and then you can strawman their point and defeat them but that's not going to be helpful you know you should still man it for them and then and then defeat it and then if you can defeat it then you know you have the point but if you most likely you're not going to be able to defeat it and then you're going to have to acknowledge that you know they have a point and maybe we should come to some kind of negotiate agreement on what needs to happen
0: I, I, I still I I sometimes think that I, I steel man uh, people, but I do it out of a sense of love in some way because I'm like, OK, uh, you know, I'll talk to somebody and I'll be like, OK, OK, let's take that idea to its absolute final level. Right. And I and I and I do that. And I'm not trying I'm not trying to be a jerk when I do this. I'm really trying to see. If we take this idea and we apply it, I'll give you an example. Like, let's say somebody says we should abolish the police. Okay, let's make this in the concrete. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I'll be like, okay, okay, let's say we abolish the police and then some guy, uh, you know, goes on a murder spree and all this other stuff. Would the social worker have the ability to apprehend that person? And I'm not trying to be a jerk. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to unravel their idea to the fullest extent possible, not in a disrespectful way. But I, I kind of want them to see the, the ultimate end of their idea, and, and maybe they have something else that they want to add to that, and, and they want to fix the steel man argument. Or maybe my steel man argument was incorrectly uh, like built or created, and they want to refine it. Totally cool. Or maybe when they see the, the final application of their idea, maybe they recant and, and kind of backtrack a little bit.
1: Yeah. So what I would say is, like, what you did there wasn't necessarily steelman; it was more like pr- playing out the argument.
0: Playing out the so, arguments. Okay.
1: So what I would say with with the defunding the police, let's say, is, I mean, again, it depends on the person you're you're, you're talking to. But I think defunding the police is a very sort of lo- loaded term in the sense that the idea behind it, and this is like sort of the steelman point of view, is that we don't want the incidents to keep on happening, right? And so. Yeah, so I would say the steelman version of uh, defunding the police isn't is to have a police force that can perform its function, but doesn't sort of start k- killing the people it interacts with. You know, so mm-hmm. th- I mean, obviously, I, I imagine you're going to find people in the world who literally believe the phrase "defund the police" as is. But I would say the idea, the best iteration, or the best idea behind this st- sentence, "defund the police," is is what I just described, and this is the idea. This is sort of the point of. Steel Manning is that sometimes, or I wouldn't say sometimes, almost always, the other person or the other side that's arguing for something, they, they themselves don't, in, don't even have their own argument fully articulated. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be some gaps in their own argument just because they don't have it fully articulated. And so the point of Steel, steel Manning is to, to jointly fully articulate the argument and to build it up into its yeah. best possible version and then to argue against, and then to have the argument. And so uh, one of the sort of the prescriptions behind this is that when you're having an argument or a discussion with someone, the other person tells you their side. And then before you, before you even give your argument back, your counter-argument, you summarize their point to that person's satisfaction. So if that person says, yep, your, your restatement of my point is I'm happy with it, Only after that you can sort of then go after the the argument.
0: I see. I kind of see that as like an intelligent form of arguing because I, I think that like like I've you know taken a lot of classes and stuff and and that. It's very – like especially in in something like couples counseling, for example, that's a technique that's often employed. Like, okay, I want you to repeat what your wife is saying, and then the husband will say what the wife said, and then it's not until the wife gives the okay. Like that's exactly what I mean. So I don't know if if steel manning should necessarily – like straw manning seems like a a pretty you know uh, malicious move. It just seems like you're trying to just defeat and conquer. It seems like steel manning – is it, just a way of of making sure that you're speaking the same exact language and then and then if you're gonna attack someone's argument you want to at the very least make sure that you're not misrepresenting what it is that they're saying yeah, you yeah. know so,
1: so this this idea of restating is the first phase of the steelmaning so so the moment you are able to restate the other person's argument to their satisfaction mm-hmm. that means you, you you understand the the sort of the gist of the argument and then the, the phase after that is, okay, how can I actually, now that I understand their argument, how can I actually improve it? Because, because by, by summarizing it, you're sort of standing in their shoes and you're, you're seeing the world from their perspective. And you're, you're, you're hopefully you're able to account for all the background factors that they're using to generate this argument. And so then you can take their argument and then make it the best possible version you, you can and then argue against it so, another, so, so, so this restatement part is the is the first phase and then you improve the restated argument to, 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 to and you can improve it with the other person or in fact you should do it because they they're the ones who are arguing that point and and then you do you, then we have a discussion
0: okay okay i think i got you now because and i i think it, it actually helps me to think of buddhism to fully understand this because in Buddhism, the ultimate virtue is to live in the present, right? So if you're steelmanning someone's argument, you're restating them and rebuilding these arguments, but it's under a nefarious guise. It's under like the, the nefarious means of eventually tearing it down. Like you're building up a house of cards with the deliberate purpose that you're going to go, and blow it all down. So I think that's the the issue with steel Manning that makes it so wrong is that you're not actually living in the present and actually taking those arguments at face value. You're just taking those arguments and then reconstructing your own tower that you will eventually knock down.
1: Yeah, um, I don't. I wouldn't agree with that because so straw Manning is definitely building the house of cards. Yeah, steel Manning is. I would say is building a house, an actual house of stone. And the and the idea is behind this is uh, that. If you steel man the other person's argument, and then you can, and your counter argument is still good enough to, to defeat the argument, then you actually have the point, you know. But if you, can, if you can't beat the steel man version of the argument, then you have to concede that they do have a point. And my point, or what I would like to think is that most of the times, if you steel man both sides of the argument, neither side wins. And and you come to the religion that both sides have a valid point, and now and then we need to have a discuss and a sort of a negotiated agreement on how to move forward.
0: Do you think there's ever such a thing as good faith steel manning, where you build up the opponent's argument, and then in that process you actually say, "Whoa, you know, in the process of actually building up my opponent's argument, I actually realize that they're correct." Do you, so you, maybe you go in the with the intention of steel manning them, but then when you actually construct your opponent's argument to its highest virtue or to its highest level. If you're being really a a genuine actor in all of this, you can actually at that point be like, you know what, now that I kind of think, and this is something I say all the time, sometimes I'm in the middle of a podcast and then I'll say, you know what, now that I kind of think of it, I think you're right. So do you think it's possible to do that?
1: Yeah, I would say that like steel manning is, by definition, good faith steel manning. Like because, okay. I mean, whether you do it by bad faith or not, I mean, hopefully, eventually, the res- the result is going to be the same, which is that because you've steel manned other side's argument, you're going to learn that your argument isn't good enough, or that you both have a point, which is good faith steel manning. The, res- the end result is good faith steel manning. Because it, sort of it's like bad faith steel manning is, by definition, not possible, because Bad faith steel is straw in some sense because yeah, right. you're, you want to weaken the argument to win, <laughs> you know, so, so there's no like, it's sort of counter, it's like an oxymoron, you know, like you can't really do bad faith steel because you're actually helping the other side and you you can't help the other side if you're coming from bad faith angle, you know, so.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think I think like the bottom takeaway here is w- when you're arguing with somebody, and I think you know we we've dis- I've discussed this in other meetups and other things like that, is you really want to be one grounded in the present, and you want to be actively listening, and you don't want to be analyzing and being like okay, I'm going to hold on to that little tidbit and make a straw man argument or steel man this to a tower that I'm going to eventually knock down. Because like, all of this stuff is not living in the present. All of it is basically using your opponent's words to your own your own end game, basically. that's, that's ba- you, you're, you kind of have th- this idea of, like, I'm listening to you. However, here's what I'm going to say in response to you. Whereas if you're actually frozen in that moment, really taking everything at face value then th- then you can you're actually putting yourself in a in a place to learn the basic idea is like when you're in this debate like have a good faith approach and I, I think that that, yes. that is and and maybe even relying on on these techniques is is like it, it could be helpful it could not be helpful but I think whether you're using these techniques if it's in a good faith manner and, and in a manner of, of genuine understanding both parties are going to win hopefully exactly. um The last thing I want to talk about is how long should we listen to somebody um, before we tell them that we think they're wrong? So I'm wondering if if there's some kind of etiquette or some kind kind of allotment of time that we should afford people to kind of just get whatever it is on their chest before we say, well, actually, because I, I think that if we say, well, actually, way too quickly, we never really understand what the other person wanted to say.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's a good question, and this sort of again sort of ties back to the approach that you're taking. So, if your approach is you want to sort of defeat the other side, then some people don't even wait. They just say you're wrong, and they start listing the reasons why they're wrong. Other people, again, this like depends on how, how much the person is agreeable. They can give them five minutes, ten minutes. But this is, I would say, this this discussion is sort of pointless because you're coming at it with I want to defeat the other side. Whereas if you take the flip side, where you actually want to learn from from the other side. I think I, I would think like you you can listen for as long as you want. I, my personal sort of personal metric, and this this I guess varies from person to person, is that when you start feeling, okay, this is too much, like you're bringing in too many sort of let's say beliefs or too many a priori assumptions into this thing. Like, like if the person is like laying out something akin to a PhD or a master's thesis, like that's too much. Like you, you, you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to listen to, to a two hour lecture.
0: Before you to, can get of, in a word, Edgewise.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So not necessarily just to get a word in. Edgewise, it's like, like if the thing that they're presenting is so complex that they need to, to to talk to you for two hours uninterrupted, for for it to make sense, you know, so to speak. Because they keep telling you, well, oh, just let me finish, just let me finish. You'll understand the whole thing at the end. If it's like going to take two hours for them, that's a bit too much, you know. So so the moment you start feeling that okay, okay, like for example, in my personal example, I I sort of said for the sake of argument, let's assume that God exists, you know. I was perfectly fine with dealing with that because it's one statement or it's one thing, you know? But but like, had I gone into, I don't know, whatever, like maybe a cult or something. And so we need to believe this thing and this thing and like five other things. I would have gone, well, hang on. A we need to have a discussion about like this, these things that you're asking me to believe, in, you know? Well, this one thing, fine, you know, I can go with it. But like these four other things, like where did they come from? Why are they here? Like, you know, and this is sort of, again, incumbent on the other side. And this is why like you can't have this with like, one good side when one, one person being good faith and the other being bad faith you know you have to have both sides being good faith because the other person has to also acknowledge that they can't just dump the whole thing on you in one go they have to go okay like what's the core 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 principle of the idea and it just initially they introduce you to that and then once you digest it so to speak and regardless whether you you're convinced of it or not whether you go okay i understand i understand the point here then they can start gradually Building up the argument for you.
0: So one thing I, perspective. so one thing I think that's fair to ask of the person that you're talking to is actually asking yourself, is the other person stopping in their conversation for me to respond or to ask questions? Because I think I think if someone just keeps going on and on for like an hour or two hours and they're not pausing at all, then that kind of tells me that they don't really give two craps about my level of understanding. They just really just want to speak. They just really want to talk. And they're not having those little check-ins like, hey, did you want to ask me something? Or what do you think about that idea, my friend? So that, that's like not genuine conversation. And then yeah. that person who's constantly talking is talking in bad faith.
1: Exactly. T- totally. And like, I, I just thought of this like um, analogy, like if you feel like you're listening to someone telling you a conspiracy theory, because like, usually like the way conspiracy theories are, are sort of narrated to other people is like, just keep listening, keep listening. And then it will all click at the end. If that's the vibe you're getting from the other side, then you, you need to sort of tell them, listen, the, the, the approach you're taking isn't working for me. You, you need to sort of restructure, reposition and come at, come at me from a different angle. And the other thing to sort of note is that that this can happen over a series of conversations and over a series of conversations with maybe different people. So it doesn't have to be like in one conversation with one person. Like you can have maybe an hour-long conversation with one person and then have a half an hour-long conversation with someone else. But the total iterative process of the whole thing nets you this result of like you listen you counter or you say, okay, I acknowledged it or I understood it. Here's my summary of it. Here's my understanding of it. Let's keep going. So just to not like have people like, Oh, how am I going to do this in one conversation? Like,
0: Yes. Yes. I think, I think there needs to be a lot of ebb and flow. And I'm just, I'm even like paying attention. I'm looking at the clock just in my own eyes. I'm like three to five minutes seems like the right amount of time for each person to speak. Like you talk for five minutes, pause, and then, God's the other person and then kind of go back and forth. And I think that's a like a good rule of discourse is to just pause every five, maybe six, seven minutes at most at max. And then you you want to make sure that the other person is, one, still following you. Two, if they want to uh, you know kind of rebuke one of your arguments or one of the things that you're saying, you want to give them that space. And I think that's genuine good faith. And I like the example you just used about the conspiracy theory, where it's like, if someone wants you to join a cult or to believe a conspiracy theory, they're actually, they don't want to give you that time to really ask a lot of questions. Like the whole goal of what they're trying to, i mean, even, this probably even happens in sales. Like the salesman just wants to speak at you at a thousand miles per hour. And they don't actually want to give you that, that window of opportunity to ask about the, you know, like, well, geez, it says here in the fine print that the, you know, they're hoping you don't even see that.
1: Yeah. so It's like another sort of like a visual idea is like, some people like they try to build a brick house and then present you the whole brick house. They're like, just wait, let me finish building the house. Whereas I think of another approach, like, okay, here's brick number one, look at it. Do you you agree that brick one is okay, you know? Okay, let's put it down. Okay, then here's brick number two. Do you agree that the brick two, and then you can say, well, you know, I don't like this brick, you know, I don't think this brick should be here. And then you can have a, especially when it comes to like these big things of like metaphysics and like worldviews, like it's religion. It's this whole lump facts and presuppositions and beliefs and it just looks like this giant dragon let's say that you have to confront you know and it's like well you know you don't have to you can just break it down into like i can speak mostly for christianity like like if if you're going to convert let's say or whatever you're going to go well you have to believe in uh, the I, I forget the example transcommunication, like where the bread and the wine literally transformed into the body and of christ you have to believe in the physical in the literal resurrection you have to you have to take all of these things in one go and when I mean, people just can't do it so you have to sort of break it down. okay well we have this this first idea okay like we can talk about it you can ask your questions about it and we can have a discussion about it once sort of you're settled and again it doesn't have to be that you're convinced of it once you're okay you've you've the person has thought that they've exhausted the topic you know there's no more questions there's no more thing then you can move on to the next sort of point of contention let's say exhaust that and you can keep on going because it's dumping it in one go is is rarely useful
0: i think that's i think that's a great analogy that you know genuine conversations happen one brick at a time i love that absolutely love that pegor thank you so much for being on the show today
1: thank you for having me
0: this concludes the 74th episode of the truth island podcast i'm aaron Azrod.